Oh boy, not ready. <clears throat> well, you will not be surprised when I say turn to the book of Romans. <laughs> Shock. Romans and chapter 4. And while you're finding that, let me uh, repeat an announcement I made last week. We're trying to raise money for our building insurance for both locations uh, this month. Um, we do that because this helps us uh, when we get into December, January, February, and the utilities uh, really go up. So uh, even triple what they normally are. And, and so we try to pay our entire building insurance payment uh, during the month of November. Well, this year we can't just write a check because we had so many repairs and, and expenses over the summer. And so we're having to press that a little bit. So if you can help us over the next two or three weeks, uh, please do that. I know some of you already did and your generosity. This church is very generous. We're not a rich church, but it's a generous church. And uh, some, several of you have already given sacrificially. Uh, we'll get, give a report back to you. But so, uh, and if you're not prepared to do it today, at the end of the service, uh, two weeks from today, we're asking for a double the tithe Sunday. And we'll try to put this issue behind us. All right. Uh, Romans chapter 4, and I want to read verses 6 through 8. Just as David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then here's what he says. He's quoting from Psalm 32, verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, their sins are covered. Verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Paul had introduced a theme in the book of Romans, especially chapter 3, which... Many Jews and, and any who attended synagogues in the first century would have felt was a strange, even novel idea. He mentions it in Romans 3.21 as a righteousness apart from the law. That would have been strange to Jewish ears. Romans 4, verse 4, he describes it as a righteousness which was a gift, not something you earn over a lifetime, and then God weighs whether you are more good than bad, but rather a gift that you receive now in faith. He describes it in Romans 4, verse 5, as a righteousness which justifies ungodly ungodly well what judge would justify the guilty 
But here God is said to justify the ungodly. These would be strange ideas. And even today, you, you find somewhat uh, a reaction against them. For, for Paul, they are the essence of the gospel. And he is concerned that people will reject what he's saying because it's not rooted in Scripture. So what has he done? To show the legitimacy and the validity of righteousness as a gift, Paul has reached back into the Old Testament and he has brought forward the greatest patriarch of the Jews, Abraham. We looked at this last week. This is verses 1 through 4. How Paul said, well, look at Abraham. And Abraham, how was he justified? How was he made righteous? And he quotes Genesis 15. Abraham believed God. He believed his promise. And God counted it to him as righteousness. Before he was circumcised, before he kept the law, before he offered up Isaac, before any good works. And that was... And I think you can uh, uh, get that online uh, to keep up and get some background for even for today. But Paul is not satisfied with one illustration. He, he may be thinking of Deuteronomy 19 verse 15, which says, In the mouth of two witnesses or three, shall a matter be established. So he wants to bring forth another witness, and he does so. Verse 6, as we read, just as David speaks of the blessing, David speaks of it. So he has brought as testimony the greatest patriarch of the Jews, Abraham. Now he introduces the greatest king in Israel, David. How was David justified? How was David made righteous? So let's look at three things. First, let's look at David's need for forgiveness. How did David sin? Why did he need forgiveness? Then let's look at the key to it. It was counted to him. And then we'll look at the joy that came. Blessed, oh, the blessedness of the man. And I hope to leave you today, I hope you leave here today happy in Jesus. That's my goal. First, let's look at David's sin and his need for this. You all know the story, most of you would know of David, the youngest son of Jesse. A little shepherd boy with seven or eight brothers, I'm not sure which. He was, a, he was the one who, when nobody else would volunteer, he went out and killed Goliath, the Philistine. He married the king's daughter because King Saul was so impressed with him. He said, here, take my daughter as a wife. I'm going to let you be part of the royal family. But then Saul turned on him 
was jealous of him, and he had to flee and live in caves for the next 10 years. Saul pursued him, but God protected him. Then when Saul died, David became the king over all the 12 tribes under a united monarchy. David was an incredible king, a musician, a writer, a poet. He wrote many, most of the Psalms. He was a warrior. Uh, he, if you go through and look at the battles that David fought, the Philistines, the Syrians, surrounding nations, he never lost a single battle. And as the years went by, he enjoyed his success. And one day he was on the roof of his palace and he looked over and saw this beautiful woman taking a bath. It's not a good idea to bathe outside. So he, he said, she is beautiful. So he sent to find out who she was and they said, um, that's Uriah's wife. Now Uriah was one of his most loyal soldiers and even then was fighting in the front lines for Israel. David said, bring her to me anyway. And in a moment of just plain sin, weakness and lust, he yielded to it and she became pregnant. Well, he wanted to cover that up, so he had Joab the general, send Uriah home. He thought, okay, we'll bring Uriah home and then his visit here will be uh, the explanation for why she's pregnant. But Joab wouldn't go home. He told the king, he said, I can't go and eat a big meal and drink and have a, a good time when my fellow soldiers are on the front lines of the battle. And David was like, oh man, what am I going to do? So he, he decided to write a note to Joab the general. And he gave it to Uriah, of all people. He said, take this to Joab. And he did. And the letter said, put Uriah in the front lines of the hottest battle. Joab knew what he wanted. And he did it, and Uriah was killed. About a year goes by. The baby that was born to David and Bathsheba died. And then the prophet Nathan comes in. He says to David, um, talk about speaking truth to power here. He says, there was a poor man with one little lamb. Then there was a rich man who was his neighbor with, a, with just flocks of sheep and lambs. And the poor man had some guests, but instead of taking one of his hundreds 
He sent and forced the poor man to give his lamb. He took the poor man's one thing that he had going for him. And David was furious. And he said, this man should pay fourfold. And then Nathan said, what? You're that man. You're that man. And David was smitten. He describes this in Psalm 32, verse 3 through 5. He says, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away. You know, the marrow of your bones is what produces the blood. So if your bones waste away, the very essence of your physical being is reduced. People do not realize the incredible impact of guilt and shame on their body. He said, my bones wasted away. And he said, through my groaning all day long, I was ashamed and depressed. Verse 4, for day and night your hand was heavy on me, pressing down a weight A lot of people describe sin as a weight. My strength dried up like the heat of summer. I don't know if y'all noticed this, but I noticed that in the middle of the summer, when it gets over 80, close to sometimes 90, I just get listless. Do y'all do that? I get get like lethargic. Uh, uh, Now, I'm usually listless and lethargic anyway, but... In the heat of summer, I don't want to do hardly anything. And this is what David was feeling. Again, the incredible effect of guilt and shame. Verse 5 says, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover it. And he means by that any longer. I said... I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, Psalm 32, 5. Uh, By the way, notice who he makes his confession to. This is carried over into the New Testament as well. Uh, David did not confess his sins to the priest. Amen? We confess to the Lord. He's the one who grants us forgiveness. He says, I confess to the Lord and he forgave the iniquity of my sin. So in this this period of time when he was away from God, he was sick, depressed, shameful, guilty, weakened, and sick. Psalm 32 also has a verse that uh, David says was the key for him. Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Pull that next one up. This is is what Paul is quoting in Romans 4. David said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, his sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. If the Lord looked at your life, could... He count 
your sins? What if he kept like a record? Each day he counts up every thought and word and deed that violated the will of God. Thought, word, or deed. We'll count those. Oh, man. <laughs> Is there a library big enough? David said, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, his sin is covered, the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. I like it. I like it a lot. <laughs> well, look, here's the thing. If you don't feel like you got a lot of sin, you probably wouldn't celebrate it like I would. But if you feel like you're the worst sinner in the church, this make you dance. If you could dance. So he says, God counts no iniquity. Now, Romans 4, this is the, this is the passage that Paul quotes about David. And Romans 4, verse 6 David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, those sins are covered, and blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count sin. They're at the risk of sounding academic I want to point out a Greek word. It's used, in fact, it's used in verse 3 regarding Abraham. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted. Logizo. It's also used in verse 6. David speaks of the blessing of the one to whom the Lord counts logizo and again in verse 8 blesses the man whom the Lord will not count logizo his sin now here's the thing about that word it is a math word it is a commercial term it was used of, in bookkeeping where you would uh like an accountant. It's what he would do. Logizo. The, it's keeping accounts. To transfer money. It's the word you would use if you transferred funds. Like uh, if you move something from your bank account to PayPal. Or from PayPal to your bank account. That is Logizo. Now, they obviously didn't have PayPal back in David's day, but that's the idea. Now, get this. It is used in Philippian, in Philemon 1, 17 and 18. Uh, pull that verse up. Paul has met uh, a servant 
or a slave named Onesimus. And Onesimus has evidently stolen from his master, Philemon, and run away. And he meets up with Paul. Maybe they met in a Starbucks or somewhere, and they start talking. And Paul shares with him about Christ. And he says, now, Onesimus, you need to go back home, take the money, apologize, and make things right. And he wrote Philemon a letter so, and gave it to Onesimus. And he said, now give this to Philemon because I know him. You give this letter to him. So he goes back. And Paul in this letter to Philemon says, If you consider me your partner, receive him, Onesimus, as you would me. If he, this slave, has wronged you or if he owes you anything, charge that to my account. And there the Greek word is a form of legizo. Transfer what he owes you so that I owe it to you. Now that's the word Paul uses in Romans 4 when he says, verse 6, all the, David speaks of the blessing of the one whom God counts righteousness. That is, he has reached out somewhere and got a righteousness and brought it and put it on David's account. Then in verse 8, Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count sinfulness. He has taken David's sinfulness and transferred it somewhere, we know where, to the cross, to Christ. So he is, it is a double transfer. Christ's righteousness to David, David's sinfulness to Christ, and that double transfer is the essence and core of the gospel. Can somebody say, Amen? Praise God. Praise God. It was a relief just to say that. And I say it with reverence and, and even awe. I, I, I know that some may think I have not sinned. My, my wife, for example... No, I'm kidding on that. Hey, that should have been funnier than y'all are letting on. <laughs> I'm serious, man. But I say it with reverence. When I look back on my life and the number of sins, the degree of sinfulness, sins against light, Sins in light of privilege. And I say it with all reverence. My entire record has been transferred to Jesus Christ. 
and his record defeating the devil, being baptized on time, getting circumcised the eighth day, keeping the law perfectly, keeping the Sabbath perfectly, loving God perfectly, loving his neighbor perfectly, obeying God even to the cross perfectly, that's all been transferred to me. The hymn writer said, Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. My dear friends, it wouldn't hurt if we were a little more Pentecostal. <laughs> Do you know what God did for David? God did not count his sin against him, but counted him righteous. What did God do now? What's the difference? Well, for one thing, he didn't die. Amen? Because in the penalty for adultery under the law of Moses' death and, and in the penalty for murder under the law of Moses' death, but he didn't die. He kept his throne. He went on. He expanded the kingdom of Israel. He defeated all his foes. He reigned for 40 years. And you know what else he did? He had another baby through Bathsheba. God gave him a baby, 2 Samuel 12, 24. Look at this. David comforted his wife Bathsheba, went into her, lay with her. She bore a son and called his name Solomon. And the Lord loved him. Here, This is the wisest king in Israel. This is the famous Solomon. And God sent a message by Nathan the prophet. And his message was, call his name Jedidiah, which means loved of the Lord. Loved of the Lord. So in the home, Solomon was called Jedidiah. He was known publicly as Solomon. But what a king he was. He only backslid in his final years. But Solomon reigned over the largest kingdom of Israel in the history of Israel. Further, David lived to a ripe old age. Died with honors. 1 Chronicles 29, 28. He died of a good age, full of days, riches and honor. Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Here's the thing I would ask you. What if you're, you have sinned, your, what you feel like is your worst sin? Will you now live, as one person said to me, waiting for the next shoe to drop. A guilt-ridden, shame-based, decision-making process. I make my decisions based on past sin. I make it out of fear. 
I make it out of shame. I make it out of guilt. One of the things that teenagers do, they, have, they sin. They be, they're, they're sexually impure. And then what, what do they do? They, well, I'm already sullied. I'm already soiled. I might as well do it again. And what a, a, a little lady asked me this morning, what difference does it make in your life? Well, right here with David. David had his greatest life after his worst sin. Because his sins were forgiven and transferred and he was counted righteous. When God counts you righteous in Christ, he is not holding to fiction. He is actually counting you righteous and treating you as such. And you need to start acting and start making decisions and start viewing your future as a person who has pleased God, not displeased Him. Make a righteous-based, obedient-minded decision about your future. And expect God to to grant His greatest blessings for the future... And don't wait for the next shoe to drop. If it does drop, there'll be a blessing in it. I know I sound a little like Joel Osteen here, but you know, if a shoe drops, look for money inside of it. Somebody hid some money in there. So Paul has brought up Abraham. Now, righteousness was counted to him, Logizo, verse 3. And we've looked at David. Paul brings up David. And the key was God counted, transferred righteousness to him. Now one more thing this morning. This final word, blessing. It's used in verse 6. David speaks of the blessing of one. It's used in verse 7. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. In Jews, in verse 8, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. What is blessing? The word blessing in the Bible is the highest form of euphoria that a man can experience. It is divine. In fact, God is called, 1 Timothy 1.11 by Paul, the blessed God. He's blessed. He is just, God is just in continual, eternal state of delight. <laughs> and if you think about Christ in Hebrews chapter 1, it says that Jesus is anointed with the oil of joy above all his companions. In other words, in heaven, Jesus is happier than any angel that is there. Now this is the word that is used here to describe the person whose sins have been transferred to Christ and Christ's righteousness has been transferred to him. Oh, the blessedness of it. 
In other words, the one thing that ought to make you happy, happier than anything else, is the fact that you have comprehended the gospel at its core. Chuck Swindoll once asked his sister Lucy what he what she considered to be the greatest emotion. She was a wise counselor to him, an older sister. What's the greatest emotion a person can experience? He uh, Chuck Swindoll said, I thought she might say love or peace, but she said relief. Relief. Am I really in this state? Do I have the status of a beloved child of God? A man in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina hit the lottery and won one million dollars. He went home, told his wife, and a reporter later asked him what she said when he told her he had won $1 million. And he replied, she didn't say anything because when I told her, she blacked out. Why did she black out? Well, good news makes you happy. If it's unbelievably good news... It affects your entire body. She couldn't handle that amount of good news. Because here's the thing. All her needs, as she saw it, all her needs were met for the rest of her life. Now, I would have said, hey, a million dollars don't go as far as you think it does. But that's what she said. It's what she thought. All my needs are met. Now, if a person faints away because all their needs are met for the next 40 years, what should a person be like who discovers that their needs are met for time and eternity? We should have a bunch of blackouts right here this morning. I watched LSU beat Alabama last night, Kevin. Yeah. (laughs) And they were interviewing people after the game, and these people were trying to talk. They were so hoarse from celebrating, they couldn't hardly speak. (laughs) I just wondered... If sometimes we ought to be like that. Not because LSU beat Alabama. Who cares about Alabama? (laughs) Kevin's from Alabama. Now, Tennessee, that's a different matter. But, I mean, in a few years, nobody's going to remember. But 100,000 years from now, This will mean everything to you and to your children and to your family and to your loved ones. Do you understand? 
you will see them again. That separation is not permanent because God will now treat you for the rest of your life and into eternity as he does his own son. And his own son is eternal. Therefore, he's going to bring you up out of the grave. certainly to be preferred above having no more worries for the next 40 years. Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, who founded the Methodist Church, when he became a Christian, he wrote this hymn. I quote just a little of it to you. And can it be? Can it be? that I should gain a portion in the Savior's blood? Did he die for me who caused this pain? For me who him to death I pursued. Amazing love. How can it be? How can it be? How can it be? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, you would die for me? Amen. Praise him. Praise him. Praise him. How can it be? Dear church, let us live in wonder at this gospel all the days of our life. Let us live in awe and in love all the days of our life. Blessed, how blessed we are. Amen. Ushers, you come. Let's worship with our giving. Holy Father, would that we were hoarse today celebrating the greatest thing in our life. But we take this unspeakable joy And we say, Father, one day you'll give us a body that will fit this joy. And I thank you for that. Let your people go in this blessedness of the gospel this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name.